Welcome to another episode of the One Golden Moment Podcast. This is Justice De Los Santos. As always, just a little disclaimer for the episode you're about to listen to, as well as a bonus episode that we have as well. The episode that you were about to listen to was recorded on February 2nd, around the middle of the afternoon. I believe me and Rory allude to it during the podcast. But the reason that we recorded it before the Stanford-Cal game as opposed to after was because of scheduling conflicts that both of us had, and we wanted to ensure that we could present you with an episode on Monday as usual. There's also a second part to this podcast, and we're going to be releasing that separately just because, quite frankly, me and Rory don't know how to keep podcasts short and refrain from talking. As Rory did mention in the last podcast, Joe Rogan, we're coming for you. But that's just sort of disclaimer about how both the episode you're about to listen to is going to go and the bonus episode. And just for a slight disclaimer for that bonus episode as well, that one will have been recorded on February 3rd, the same day as the game, but a couple hours before the game. And as you'll sort of hear in both of these episodes, they will go into very general topics that aren't too game specific, but they do allude to the Stanford-Cal game, which happened, which was an 84-81 and loss on Cal's end. Me and Rory will be going over that game in the next podcast, but until then, enjoy. Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network, your new podcast focused on Cal men's hoops, you know, out here nationally. Cal's such a blue blood program. We need to add a, a podcast just dedicated to the Golden Bears. So today, we're going to be talking to Cousin Sal. Joe House, maybe even some Zach Lowe, and then of course, the boys from One Golden Moment, talking about the Porzingis trade, Viking Jones, will he stay, will he go? And now, introducing a new intro, oh yeah, no more Pearl Jam, MJ, hit that beat. Golden Moment Podcast, episode number nine, Justice Del Santos, Rory O'Toole, Yerp. we back in the studio, it is currently 1.44 on a Saturday, mm-hmm. which means we are not recording after the Stanford game, I guess you could say this is a part protest for the fact that this is on Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, still, but, still hot about that, but also just part scheduling, because when you schedule a game on that day you know we've had like, we sort of have, we had plans you know we're we're college students mm-hmm. I got some wings to eat I got some snacks to make exactly some uh, adult beverages to take part in so uh, and then you as well you'll, you'll be celebrating your how old you turn 22 allegedly 23 23 the big 2-3 allegedly the MJ yeah so this year's gotta be the GOAT gotta be that's where we're going for the 4.0. Yeah. There it is. 4.0 <laughs> in life. Never forget, guys. I'm making my way. So what you doing tonight to celebrate? Or do we got to keep that behind the curtains, too? I think we got to keep that behind the curtains. <laughs> I, I got to keep my journalistic integrity here. All right. So since we are recording this before the Stanford game and we don't actually have the, a game to talk about unless we want to, unless we want to like fake color commentate and live broadcast this UCLA-Washington game. 
which I'm not entirely opposed to. Hey, as Bill Walton said, the team with the most points is going to win this game. Wow. You know, those you're not as a <laughs> That's incredible stuff. I don't know who's riding the ship with him, but but as his fellow as his partner said, you're not going to find that in any game notes. No. So, in lieu of well, we did a preview on the last podcast, you know, Stanford and their length as uh, <laughs> as, as Jones mentioned. Yeah. I think I last length. I didn't bring this up in the last podcast, but I think it's worth noting even though it might be a little dated by the time that we... Oh, this is a side note. Eagles expected to franchise tag and try to trade Nick Foles. So, you know, breaking news. Wow. <laughs> even though we're, we are not a... Wait, they want to franchise tag him? Apparently. Do we got to change this to a, an NFL podcast? Whoa. Is this going to be a Super Bowl-centric podcast? Yeah. You know who needs a quarterback? It's Cal football. Hey, Cal. Now, I'm not familiar with NCAA rules. I think they have a thing about taking money. But, you know, maybe we can grease a few thumbs, get a 32-year-old Nick Foles in here to be our quarterback. Crazier things have happened. Yeah, let's do it. Crazier things have happened. Let's do it! But, as I was mentioning, this might be a little dated, but a projected Stanford lineup that featured, that would feature Dejon Davis, Bryce Wills, Casey Apala, Oscar Da Silva, and Josh Sharma... Hmm would be taller than a Cal lineup of Paris Austin, Darius McNeil, Matt Bradley, Justice Suing, and Andre Kelly at every position. So... About a length. You know, this would, this would probably be one of the better games to bring Connor back into the mix. Now, granted, Josh Sharma, a lot of strength down low, but, you know, you can't have... <laughs> realistically, if you're going to have a game where the other team is taller than you at every position, I don't yeah. think that bodes well for winning. No, it does not. Yeah, I mean, when you have a 7-foot... Is he 7-4 or 7-3? I hear Vanover. two things. 7-3. 7-3. 7-3 2-20. Okay. Well, I mean, you know if you else? have a 7-3 guy, you might as well use him. You know I who think. else is 7-3 and uh, could be used? Who? Christoph Porzingis. Oh! This is an NBA podcast oh! now. We're just, we're just... We're covering all the bases. Well, yeah, we really are. All I, the quadrants. I guess we can spend we can spend a minute on that. What are, what are your thoughts on that trade? Oh my god. Are we a Knicks podcast now? I, just, we... I, I love the comedy of the Knicks. Um, to think that they're actually going to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I think is hilarious. And Jimmy Butler. And yeah, you know they're going to end up with maybe just Jimmy Butler, or just like Chris Middleton and like Gordon Dragic. It's going to be great. It's going to be great to watch this fail. Um, that was a terrible trade. That was absolutely awful. I think Jason Concepcion of the Ringer said that... If they end up in a situation where instead of getting KD and Kyrie, they get like Boogie and Tobias Harris, they should mm. burn the garden to the ground and then bulldoze like bulldoze over it, okay. and then make sure that nothing else is built on that land because it's cursed. Shout, I agree. Shout out to the Ringer Desktop. Shout out Network. Shout out Concepcion. But to, to circle it back to Cal basketball, we've we've we're covering all the bases: Eagles, Knicks, NFL, NBA. The big game. Yes. We're just covering all the bases. Yes. But uh, Rusty Simmons of the San Francisco Chronicle released an article yesterday essentially saying that Viking Jones is not going to be fired mid-season. This is sort of the train of thought that we had. You know, we've discussed potentially what it would take for Viking to not be the head coach mid-season. But, you know, this sort of 
this is something we expected to at least hear. It's not the most shocking development in the world. No. I mean, Jim Knowlton's shown a lot of patience already, I think, um, at a lot of other programs. Um, Viking would have been fired already. But I think um, the expectations were already pretty low heading into the season, so the fact that they're winless so far in conference isn't as dramatic as it would be at a UCLA or Arizona or Washington. So on the one hand, it's not surprising, but on the other hand, considering how poorly this team has performed this season, um, it's a little surprising. And I was saying before that if they get blown out by Stanford in a rivalry game on their home court and they get absolutely embarrassed potentially, I would think that'd be grounds for firing. I think it's honestly going to take a lot more than just your run-of-the-mill blowout. Like, I honestly think it might take not only a string of blowouts, but, like, something, you know, in, like, the 20-point range in, like, consecutive games. But even at that, I just find it very difficult to envision this season, especially because we have discussed sort of the logistics of his contract. Yeah. And that if he was to be fired midseason... Not only would you have to pay the remainder of his contract for this season, but the remaining three years after this year, in addition to actually hiring a coach and that coach. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest calculation is to have to shake things up and find a replacement or some kind of interim in the meantime is kind of a tough pill to swallow right now. But, I mean, they already got blown out by Washington State. Like, absolutely embarrassed. Well, speaking uh, speaking of Washington State, I know we always allude to every every podcast from from here on out. We've alluded to the, the chance of a winless record. Uh, I believe on the last podcast it was like in the 15, 15 point something. Mm-hmm. Washington State actually ju- because of their loss to UCLA, the chance of a winless record has now gone down to fourteen point six, and the game against Washington State at home on March second has now flipped to a win. So that game is seesawed a lot. And the chance of a winless record so, kind of... Did you say we're favored against Washington State? We're now favored against Washington State. But, you know, that... How how is, does that happen? Well, it's only a one-point difference, so it kind of just okay. oscillates back and forth. Because the chance of a winless record, it, it doesn't just consider Cal. Uh-huh. It also considers everything else that's happened. The opponent. But if you watch that Washington State game, I don't know how anyone can say we're favored against them. Home court advantage. Home court advantage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the mighty Haas Pavilion. Um, I mean, that's part of the reason why King should be fired. It's clearly a lot of alumni are frustrated with King and want him gone. Um, So a lot of people just are quasi-boycotting the season right now and just not showing up to games. People do not want to support the King regime, so... I mean, there's really no home court advantage to speak of right now. And speaking of the home court advantage, tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday, you know, yeah. I'm like, part of me wants to believe that there will be a good amount of people to show up, but then yeah. it's Jared Goff, it's the big game. When was, who was the last Cal quarterback? Probably Aaron Rodgers to start in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So it's been a minute. So, yeah. and you know, you gotta, you gotta cook the wings. Got to cook the Mac. Got to get the pizza ready. 
You know, it's not just like the it's game. It's almost a national holiday. Opening day and the Super Bowl should be national holidays. Wow. Also, a day a day that passed, I, I name dropped him on the podcast for the wrong reason. But the what would have been Jackie Robinson's hundred birthday recently <laughs> passed, so I got to give a shout out to one of the pioneers. Mm. In terms of what you were talking about in the uh, how people are dissatisfied mm. with Viking, Jim Knowlton actually came to the Daily Cal office on Wednesday and talked with the editorial board. And we had we had Shaylin in there asking the hard hitting questions, but you know Knowlton he did give the very political answers. Uh, just a quote from from what Shaylin sent us. Uh, Waking Jones is a phenomenal again. This is from uh, Knowlton. Waking Jones is a phenomenal person and coach. We will evaluate everything at the end of the season. Our coaching staff is recruiting like crazy and working hard to ve- to develop our players. I know the latter half of that sentence you're interested in developing our players. Mm-hmm. And Knowlton also said that a lot of alumni have been emailing him regarding exactly. Vikings firing. So this has definitely been on the front burner for a while for Knowlton at this point. Yeah, I think he's getting a lot of pressure from alumni um, to fire Viking. And keep in mind, uh, Knowlton did not hire Viking Jones. He's a holdover from the previous administration, so... He doesn't owe Wyking a whole lot. His legacy is not tied up with Wyking Jones. So there's a lot of factors and variables that make you think um, Knowlton is eventually going to fire Wyking. So I guess right now it's just a matter of when. Um, so we'll, we'll just wait and see. Probably the end of the season, um, I guess, if Rusty Simmons is reporting that. Dude's very plugged in. Yeah, I can't really imagine a scenario... Where even even if Cal doesn't go winless in conference and they maybe snag a game or two, I still can't envision a scenario where Viking is still the head coach. No, but if they get, let's say they get blown out by thirty points by Stanford on Super Bowl Sunday, the crowd is dead, the team is listless, we just got wiped the floor. Keep in mind, this is our gold-out game. So this is supposed to be the big student game. There probably won't be many students there. And they get blown out by 30 points by our rival. After losing the big game already this year, in rather embarrassing fashion. Is there any part of Jim Knowlton that goes, you know what, this has got to end right now? I think at this point... For Knowlton, this isn't a performance issue. This is strictly a financial issue. Okay. I don't remember what the number is. I remember I reported on this last year, but Cal is just in such a ridiculous amount of debt. It's... Yeah. It's absurd. No, it's absurd. That debt, based on the current projections, or the last time that I checked the projections, because I think they pay it off in, like, increments of 18 million a year right now and then it gradually goes up and I think it peaks at like 37 if those projections are still the same as what I remember that debt isn't getting paid off can I get a little can I get a little drum roll until we're dead the end of the yeah. century yeah so and we're gonna be all underwater by that point anyway. <laughs> so that's fine it's okay we'll have a we can 
pulled out an AT and T because apparently AT or Oracle Park. There you go. Because apparently Oracle Park is sort of like water. Let's just go back to calling it Pac Bell. Please. That'd be my amendment. That's what my mom calls it. Yeah. So she was SBC. Oh God. <laughs> the Moises Alude days. Mm-hmm. The Felipe Alude days. Noah Lowry. Woo! What happened, to, what happened to Dontrell Willis? Dude, I thought Noah Lowry's going to be a good... Dontrell Willis? I don't know. He had a good peak there. Shout out Alameda. Yep. Dontrell Willis. I get it is a financial issue, but do you think basketball is even generating revenue at this point? Because when you're this bad, people are not showing up to the games. Alumni drive the profitability of college sports in a lot of ways. They have a lot of power. If the alumni are saying to Jim Noll, you need to get rid of this guy soon, like right now. You should have done it yesterday, frankly. I mean, yes, he needs to wait, I guess, and not have to pay the remainder of this year's salary. But at the same time, you're kind of losing money on basketball with White King Jones as coach. So maybe that makes it an easier decision for him to fire gives him some justification even on the surface maybe it doesn't seem financially prudent maybe it actually is because Y King is actually costing this program a lot of money I mean we go to the games there's yeah, not a lot of people there not a lot of people there you could if in response to like the the argument that he's not doing it yet because it's financial or because he doesn't want to make the decision yet I think you could also you know, we're, we're talking about millions of dollars here. We're not talking about, like, a $20 debt. But, you know, it's kind of, there's, there's a counter-argument. It's like, what's, what's like, $4 million to an to a $400 million debt? Yeah. So, I know, like, we're not, like, you know, we haven't signed our, our podcast deal yet. That we have gotten a lot of office. We haven't gotten our Bryce Harper, Manny Machado money no. yet. But I think that I've definitely talk to some people and that's sort of the, the counter that they make it's like yeah we're already so far in debt what's the point of just like hanging on to this guy and just doing it because it's gonna cost money we're exactly already, like and you're like i said you're losing money when no one's showing up to the game you know <laughs> those flames that we have in the beginning of the game <laughs> our little fire machine oh yeah you know that costs money and if it's for uh you know, only ten people in the stands. It's like, is any of this really worth it? I wonder if that pregame intro music costs money. Like, do oh, a hundred percent. Do we have to pay royalties to the Migos? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> For every second that's played, we owe like a hundred dollars or something. I'm not sure how it works. I just know we. I would be very surprised if anything but football generates revenue for Cal athletics. Hey, baseball, we might. They might be making some money. Andrew Vaughn, projected top 10 They pick. might. Who knows? Uh, yeah. We'll hitting, see. Hitting the homers over the Jumbotron and into the track stadium. Yeah. But, man, I don't... Basketball used to be a revenue-generating sport for Cal, I think. So, to see that go away is pretty concerning. It's crazy for me. I was thinking about this last night, and it just based on the how this year has gone... And how last year is gone, it doesn't even feel like Ivan Rab, Jabari Bird, Tyrone Wallace were here. Like Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. It doesn't feel like they were here, like since I've gotten here. No, I mean it was a different era. You had Mike Montgomery, then you had Quanzo Martin. They were 
For all their faults, they were professional coaches who knew how to get W's and knew how to recruit guys like that. And the fact of the matter is, Y. King Jones still feels like an assistant. He still feels like an interim coach who's happened to be there you know, a lot longer than you think. Um, yeah. No, there really is a way different energy in the building compared to those previous coaching regimes. Speaking of recruiting, we got a Bagley. We have a Bagley. We have offered uh, Marvin Bagley's little brother. What's his name? Marcus Bagley? Marcus Bagley. They like the M's. It's like the Kardashians. They're keeping the same letters. <laughs> Are we comparing the Bagleys to the Kardashians? I think so. That'd be a, probably a more tolerable show to watch, honestly. Are the Bagleys the new Ball Brothers? Or, oh. let me, let me, how about we put some... Hopefully let, not. Let's put some respect on the real Ball Brothers, mm. the holidays. Drew, yes. Justin, and Aaron. Those are the real Ball Brothers. I Let's miss just Justin. Huh? I miss Justin Holiday. From the Warriors? Yeah. I remember he had like a, a 10-point game against the Kings in like January. And that, <laughs> that made my heart warm. Always. He was a great dude, man. He was a great player. Before KD came. Um, you call him the original KD? <laughs> I, call him, I call him the, yeah, KD Light. Um, you know, this is a side note. You know, uh, on basketball reference, Karis Levert, formerly of Michigan, his nickname that's listed on there is actually Baby Durant. That's I'm, absurd. I'm not lying. That's absurd. What? I, I've been on the... That ba- must be a joke. That has to be a joke. He looks... All right, we cannot get it. That's <laughs> stupid. That's just dumb. Um, it puts some. Re- hey, I, I was I called it years ago. I told y'all that the Nets would be back. The Nets are back. D'Lo, Isaiah Whitehead didn't turn out. Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. This is we're just covering all yeah, the bases Joe, here. Joe Harris has been so much better than I ever thought he'd be. Um, so anyway, back to Marcus. Yeah, Bagley. Bagley. He's a four star. So, I mean, decent recruit. He is not nearly as good as his brother was, obviously. Um, But, yeah, he has two offers right now, one from Cal, one from Pittsburgh. Um, Both say his interest is cool, so the chances of him actually coming over to Berkeley, probably not great. But uh, who knows? Maybe we get a Bagley. I mean, that'd be a step in the right direction. It'd be, be something. It'd be a little bit of name recognition. Maybe get Marvin in the building, and then on those recruiting trips, it's like, you just got Marvin Bagley just chilling in the stands. It's like, yeah, we got an NBA player here. We got connections. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. You know, he, he didn't go to... Uh, where back Bagley went to Duke. Yes, he did go to Duke. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. So sort of get to where we're... Since we don't have a game to talk about... We figured we'd open it up to the fans, or <laughs> yes, in the case of in the case of us, we'll open it up to the staff. Mm-hmm. Ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary people, can we get a little drum roll? We got the mailbag. Mail. Now who the hell is this? Emailing me at eleven twenty-six. First mailbag, you know. We're the ones sort of asking each other questions. We figured we'd open it up to the public. Mm. You know, we opened it up to the sports staff, opened it up on Twitter, and we got a couple of questions that I was... I asked you if you wanted to know these questions in advance. 
but no. sort of a theme in these podcasts is just getting your genuine reaction. Get my genuine reaction. So so I don't have time to think about it, and yeah. I have to live with the consequences. <laughs> you got to keep it real. Of my base instincts. Got to keep it a buck fifty. Yeah. But let's start with a little softball question. We got Josh Ewan from Shout Palo Alto, <laughs> who I think it's worth noting uh-huh. does not work for the Daily Californian anymore. Coward. He works for Cal Athletics. Coward! He has changed allegiances. He has changed teams. What's worse, going from transferring from Cal to Stanford or transferring from the Daily Cal to Cal Athletics? I think we have a real problem of writer power in our industry. There's too much, too much movement, too much weight being thrown around. Do we need a CBA? These for agencies <laughs> are colluding. There's something going on. Who is the, the rich Paul of the journalism industry just, like, pulling strings behind the curtains? <laughs> Anyhow. Maybe Andrew Wilde. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Andrew Wilde. Yeah. Um, so Josh's question, it's a very softball question. You know, Josh has his saying, you know, football score. Anytime he sees a score that looks like a very traditional football score, you know, 7-3, 14-7, mm-hmm. 21-7, stuff of that nature. So Josh's question is, What's your favorite basketball football score? Now before you answer that, I Ooh. always make a dis- I always make a note whenever Josh says football score that anything above 2 is a football score. Anything above 2 that's not 1 yeah. is a football score. I, I always give him a little I like mess with him a little bit every time he says it, but what would be your favorite basketball football score? Basketball score. Hmm. I love when you watch a really terrible Big Ten game, and it's like 65-52. That's when you know you watch some rugged big men in the Big Ten. Big Midwestern dudes go at it. A lot of missed shots. A lot of free throws. A lot of terrible offense. This season, I've loved the basketball scores of us scoring under 60 points. Um, That recently got snapped. These are like some, some like arena league football basketball scores. In college? Yeah. Yeah. What would be an arena football? Probably some of these Duke games are basically <laughs> arena football. Like Wait. 70 to 50. Yeah. Jesus. I don't know. I, I like it. They're a fast paced team. I like the games early on when like a, one team is just clearly dominating the other and then it's like a very. like. You can be like, oh, are they just straight up doubling up their opponent right now? So maybe like 2010 or like 34-17. Yeah. Especially in those blowout games. It's just like, it might not be as entertaining to watch, but it's just aesthetically pleasing yeah. to see on the scoreboard. That's college basketball right there. Or as a, I think I saw this on Twitter a couple days ago. I forgot what college game it was, but there was a point. It was it was tied 69-69, the, the, the ultimate nice score. Hey. <laughs> As we always have to nice. allude to. Yeah. So moving on to a more, a more act like an actual question that's okay. like, that's more related to actual Cal basketball. I appreciate the cues, um, Josh. Let's see here. This is from John Sarios, of mm. Turkey. Mm. Shout out Ennis Cantor. Shout out Chetty. Would one conference win be enough for Viking Jones to keep his job? No. No. Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> okay, so he said... Moving on! <laughs> we, uh, we just, no. We just keep moving? No. Um, there's no... I mean, we kind of discussed this, but like we said, 
Y King was not hired by Jim Nolan. Uh, he already had one bad season last year. The season's been even worse. Um, he's not recruited super well. The alumni hate him. The fans are not pleased with him, judging by SB Nation comments. The students have zero interest. Attendance is down. Um, energy is down. Faith is down. <laughs> General happiness around this program is down. I don't see one win, uh, even if it was an incredible upset win over... Uh, who do we have remaining? Yeah, UCLA or Arizona or Washington. Like, I just don't... I don't see that. Or even Stanford tomorrow. How about... I don't, I don't see it. There's no way. I mean, who knows with this program? <laughs> like, they, I might eat these words, but... God, I don't see him sticking around. I think this podcast will be fun to listen to in retrospect. Or, like... Yeah. Once we listen to it on Monday, when Sunday will have happened. And you're going to realize we're like Nostradamus. We've been calling this zero conference <laughs> wins from the get-go. So how about this as a counter? Cal has a three-game stretch. I'm just looking at this based on tier rankings, where they play Arizona and Arizona State on Oof. the road. Oof. And then Washington at home. If God. Cal somehow wins... If they just... Well, okay, forget those three games. If they win, like, three conference games, just everything that's happened just turn to dust and they win three conference games, what do you think then? Do you think Viking is still just, like, walking out that door? I still think he's gone. I mean, the powers of recency bias would hold sway a little bit, but it'd still just be three conference wins at the end of the day, even if they were back-to-back-to-back. And against some elite programs. I mean... They're going to be really crazy wins if they do happen to win all three of those games. I I don't think it's going to be a thing where Jim Noel can say, hey, there was a sea change here in the way that the Cows running there. I think, if anything, if we lose those games, it's going to be because Arizona and Arizona State and Washington played down to their competition and kind of lost the game. Not that we won it. So, no, I don't see that. I'm basically on the island of he's gone. Like, this dude is definitely gone. Everything, all indications are he's going to be gone. Um, because what incentives does Jim Nolan have to keep Wyking if the alumni who donate to the program, you know, are the basically the foundation of any college program, if they hate the guy, how can you possibly uh, protect your coach? Especially if you didn't hire the guy. Even if they do win three conference games, or in John's question, even if they win one and they avoid the winless record, that's still three. That's what I'm saying. Conference wins in the past that's two seasons. That's still garbage. Like, come on. Um, I just don't see it. There's really no incentive, like I'm saying, for uh, Jim Nolan to keep him around beyond maybe financial stuff. And he's losing money when your program is becoming this much of a joke. So. Usually what I expect when 
the semester rolls around and winter break ends and students start coming to games, mm-hmm. I'll notice it in the Wi-Fi, as strange as that sounds, because more and more students will be coming to the games. Everyone's fighting for that Wi-Fi connection. Yeah. I'm, I'm over here scrambling, trying to write my story while some third year student up in the up in the stands is like checking their Instagram. Exactly. And I'm like, can I get like, can y'all chill? With yeah. Me? But I haven't really noticed uh, the the fight. Maybe it's maybe it's a better connection. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's something else related to the amount of people. That's how we know in the stands. The Wi-Fi is working too well. But yeah, I just feel like, like for me, just as someone that's gone to a lot of home games over the past two seasons, this is usually the time when we start seeing fans start to fill up. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the only games that have been played since school started were Colorado and Utah. Mm-hmm. Even if Cal was a good team, even if they were a decent team, those aren't games that are going to sell out, especially yeah. on like a Thursday Especially like the first week back Thursday, because yeah, you know that's a good point. Yeah. We got frats rushing, we got sororities rushing. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So, I think this Stanford game is going to be a very big tell of where the attendance sort of stands for the rest of the season. Because yeah, it is the Super Bowl, but if fans do care about basketball enough, if there's enough faith in the program, if there's enough optimism, or even like a shred of optimism. Or even the diehards that are just intensely loyal to the program. And there is that also two-hour gap. Mm-hmm. If Cal can't generate fans coming to this game, even if it's like 8,000 or 9,000, which wouldn't fill capacity but just doesn't like scream no one cares, I think then we're going to start getting into the very... Like, what hope is left for the rest of this season territory? There isn't a lot left as it is in terms of just no. any ounce of optimism, but this is Stanford. This is a historic rivalry. These teams have hated each other for century, for going on Thousands a Thousands of years. This is a thousand-year war. Yeah. <laughs> Basically what's going on. So, I don't know. We shall see. Well, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, if it's such a catastrophic loss against Stanford, I'm I'm still not ruling out the firing midseason. Even I know Rusty, you know he's plugged in, but things can change. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. This next question comes from Armin. His question is, "What is Cal basketball's best chance to see improvement as a program in the long term?" and sustain a level of competitiveness in the Pac-12. I feel like all these questions are just going to come back to coaching. Yeah, I'd say step one, um, regime change. Because in college basketball, coaching is the one constant. The players constantly leave. They constantly transfer at higher rates than ever. So the one constant that gives you stability as a program is a coaching staff and so if you don't have a reliable coaching staff you're kind of screwed in college basketball so that is the first step and from there you get the right hire and then you start recruiting well and once you start recruiting well you start developing players and as you start developing players you start winning games and as you start winning games you develop a culture and then you use that culture as a marketing tool to get better recruits and then you know you work your way up up the ladder better recruits better program better culture and it just keeps 
progressing, and then you establish yourself as a Pac-12 stable. You got the cycle. Yeah, that's how it works. But it all begins with coaching in college basketball. Coaching is everything. And you've seen, you see some of the more successful programs in college basketball. Like when you think successful college basketball teams, you think Kentucky, Duke, Kansas. And if you want to bring it to the Pac-12, you think Arizona. Eh, not, not so much UCLA anymore, but you think Oregon. Mm-hmm. The one common denominator with all of those programs is the coaching. Yep. And not even just in terms of general ability. It's more in terms of them being there for decades mm-hmm. and being able to establish that culture and being yeah. able to establish a reputation. Which the fans feed into as well. I mean, Arizona has like one of the strongest fan bases in college basketball, and that was built over the Lute Olsen era and has continued into the Sean Miller era. And all the alumni they have in the NBA still feel a huge connection to the school. So all those things play a role. DeAndre Ayton was just at the Arizona State game. Oh, wow. Yeah, he tried to hide. <laughs> hard to hide when you're By wearing a, a hoodie and just covering himself. But when you're when you're 7-1, yeah, it's, you it's a little really hard add. to blend into the crowd. I will, I will say, though, those blue blood programs, I would not emulate if I was Cal. Because we're never going to be Kentucky or Kansas or maybe even Arizona. What we can be, though who I would use as a prototype is maybe like a Brad Stevens at Butler, a um, Thad Mata at Ohio State kind of model where you're getting guys for three years, four years, um, kind of building a culture of, you know, we sign guys or Bob Huggins at West Virginia. We have a strong culture. We don't have the most talented guys because they're going to Arizona or Kansas or Kentucky or Oregon, but we're going to be the toughest team or, you know, the best unit, the best squad, the closest team. And I think that's where success lies for us is building guys who stay in the program for all three years or all four years. And then maybe you start getting some one-and-done types. We start getting the Jalen Browns again <laughs> in we, the Ivan Raps. We saw how that worked out for Villanova. With, uh, or Villanova, yeah. What's the name of the Quentin Grimes? Is that no, that's is that Kansas? I know that, that, that strategy like of... Because I know that Villanova's whole thing was getting guys and then keeping them for three or four years, and then they go... Then they got a five-star, and I think Titus and Tate on the One Shining Podcast were like, this is what you get for getting a five star after you're a band. Oh yeah, they did get okay. one five star. You're changing yeah. your roots. But yeah. I think what you just lined out is that's one of the big things that I love with college basketball is as much as I love seeing guys like Zion and RJ Barrett and you know because one and dones have become part of the college landscape, at least until the one and done rules eliminated in like twenty twenty two. But I think with me personally, I love seeing those guys that stay around for three, four years. Same. And then they build a culture. Because then at that point, you're not just using college basketball as a tool to advance the next level in life. You're using it as... It's a legitimate path that you have to go through when there's that sort of blend of uncertainty and you grow as a person as a result of it. Because as we've seen with like Ben Simmons and LSU, he did not care at all no. about... <laughs> Any of it. <laughs> about college basketball. 
But that's why, to keep it Pac-12 oriented, that's why Washington is one of my favorite mm-hmm. teams in college basketball, if not just the Pac-12, because they, like, a majority of their players, you know, David Crisps, Matisse Thibel, Noah Dickerson, these are guys who have stayed the course, and as a result of that, they now have the definitively best team in the Pac-12. They're going to make a run at the tournament, and just considering how lethal that zone defense is, they're probably going to make some noise. And they're going to be dangerous, yeah. As we saw, too, they just nabbed a five-star. As a result of being able to build that program. Exactly. So, in terms of like, if we're let's bring back the optimism of Oski. We haven't. Oh wow. We haven't seen that in a while. Through. I'm not necessarily saying that this optimism is going to sort of be generated during the Viking Jones era, but it is wishful thinking to think that in order to bring Cal back to a certain level of prominence. It's going to have to be rooted in player development and yep. player development and culture. Yep. And stability. <laughs> and definitely. If Cal can get someone that can stay the course, someone that's young. And someone who's committed to the program, not a coach who's like, I'm going to coach a Cal for three or four years, maybe make an NCAA tournament run or two, and then move on to the next job. You want someone who's like, I'm going to be here for 10 years. I love Berkeley. Preferably an alumni is who would do that. Uh, Jason Kidd. But, uh, I was just going to say Jason <laughs> Kidd, but Jason Kidd would... Nah, I, he's only taking NBA jobs, bro. He's I, not coming back. I was going to say like Leon Poe or yeah. Jason Cobbs or something like that. Yo, honestly. Um, who knows? Or Steve Kerr's son, Nick. I think he's working for the Spurs. I think he's like only 25 or 26, but you know what? He could be... uh, I mean, the Timberwolves coach right now is like 30, 31. What's Sam Singer up to? Yo, I don't know. All I'm saying is people will want to be at Berkeley for three or four years because of the education if we're not getting five-star types who know they're not going to go to the NBA, really. But they want to have a successful college career, and they also want to get a successful education. You know, that's pretty appealing to a lot of players, and a specific type of player. And that's how you build a culture when you have specific personality types and character types. And um, so, yeah, it's really building an institution here. But it all starts with coaching. All starts with it coaching. All starts with coaching in college basketball. This is a side note, but I checked in on Charlie Moore. Mm. He's kind of just there at Kansas, mm. not really playing that much. It would have been fun to have him on this roster, just if you threw him. That's what happens when these guys go to these big-time programs. Sometimes it's not in your best interest, actually, because you're just not going to play. And they're going to keep getting five stars every year. So you're never going to get your shine. Then we had Marcy kind of be like the inverse of that. Yeah. Where he went to Kentucky and then came back home. I remember watching him in the uh, NCAA championship game and the Final Four and all that, and I was like, yo, this dude is nice. He's from Antioch. He's going to have a great career. <laughs> He's balling out in the G League right uh, now. Not as much. I think he just had a couple days ago, he had like a perfect game, like 7-7 seven to seven from the field. Wow. He's making waves. I could see him. I could see him uh, get some run in the league. You like a sort of high energy guy. Yeah, 
rebound, maybe a little Clint bit Capella of, type. A little bit of post scoring. Yeah. So the next question that I sort of have here. This is a question from me. And this is ba- this is based on a comment that we saw on SB Nation. Mm. Now, this comment was not nice. It was very negative. But to sort of sum up the comment, this commenter really hopes that, as, as strange as it sounds, because this is coming from SB Nation, California Gold Blogs, a Cal fan site, mm-hmm. this fan hopes that they don't win on Sunday, that they kind of get obliterated by Stanford so as to not have a small grain of hope. And so when I read that comment, the question that I had as a result was, do you think it's in Cal's best long-term interest to not win a single game in conference? That's a very dark... I love this question. It's a very this dark question. This is such question. a great question. But very it's, dark. I think there, there's multiple ways you can approach it. I'll let you go first, and then I'll sort of jump off mm-hmm. your thoughts on it. I, I kind of see both sides, not to be... Uh, I sound like a terrible politician right now. I'm weighing both sides, but... There's great people on both sides. <laughs> Never forget. Never forget. Um, I totally understand. Like, I guess the fear is we win two or three games of conference, and maybe Jim Knowlton says, hey, this is a good run like we were mentioning earlier, and I'll keep wiking around for another year. And we'll just have another year of complete disaster so it's better if we lose all our conference games now and then Jim Nolan has no doubt that he has to fire Wyking but at the same time I think Wyking is getting fired anyways I really do and just mathematically the probability of us losing most of our games are very high for the remainder of the season and I so that's probably what's going to happen um, so I think Wyking getting fired without us going completely winless in conference. So I'd still root for a Cal win. I don't want to hold that title of, yeah, my program went winless in conference my senior year of college. <laughs> like, I really don't want to hold that. Like, that's pretty terrible to own up to. That's like kind of being like a Detroit Lions or Cleveland Browns fan. Oh, no. When you're like, we went 0-16. Like, no matter what you do, that is part of your legacy. And the difference between 0-16 and, and 1-15 and is huge in the NFL, the way people remember you. <laughs> so if we get one conference win, yeah, it's a disaster, but we don't have to think about that for the rest of our lives. If we go winless, that'll be extremely painful for me. You want to avoid but it? Go ahead. I don't, I'd prefer to avoid it. I think he's getting fired no matter what, so... I don't think we need to go winless in conference for that to happen. But, yeah, I don't, I don't want to own that. The last team to go winless in conference in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. was the 2007-2008 Oregon State Beavers. I didn't check to see if the coach got fired after that. I'm pretty sh- like I mean, I, how did I, he not? I wouldn't be shocked if the coach did, but... It's been a while since it's happened, and the last time Cal... Oh, I forgot to completely mention this. There's a, there's a lot more going into this 
Cal-Stanford game than just losing 10 straight. If they lose this game on Sunday, which again, if you're hearing this on Monday, you'll know the result and because mm. we don't, it will tie the longest losing streak in program history. And for that to happen against your rival, that's just sort of That's like, what I'm saying. That's a kick in the mouth. Yeah. But my thing with the with the going winless in conference, I do agree that barring the miraculous, barring Cal just somehow winning five games in conference play, something of that nature, that Wiking is more likely than not not going to be the coach next season. And there's also the, the added factor that even if Wiking does get fired, you still might have some guys who are going to still be around. Like, say, for example, that Wiking is gone next year, but Justice, Darius, Jawan, etc., etc., are still on this team. Basically, when they go into next season, regardless of who their coach is, all they're going to know at the collegiate level is losing. And so, you know, it's it's sort of like the whole thing that we were talking about of, you know, whether or not to fire Wiking based on financial implications. You know, it's like, what's two more losses in like a sea of like 25 lost seasons or stuff of that nature? But I think there is something to winning in conference specifically. You know, you're not going against Santa Clara. You're not going against Cal Poly. You're not going against San Jose State. This point was made on... I'm going to reference the Inside the Pac-12 podcast once again in relation to, to Benny Boatwright when he hit that game winner against, I believe it was Arizona State. You know, when you hit like when he hits that shot, that, just, that shot just gives him an extra boost of confidence and sort of elevates his play further. Mm. And I think that if they were to hypothetically go winless in conference... It would just be like a complete shot to confidence, and it wouldn't reinforce what it means to play winning basketball. Yeah. And then you, they, whoever decides to stay, if everyone decides to stay or if people decide to transfer after a hypothetical winless season, it's also just not fun, Like as you said, to have to be the team to carry around the weight of having that season. Yeah, just it's a pretty traumatic happen. experience, man. <laughs> uh, to go back to the Oregon State, they actually fired their coach midseason. Mm. So, and the interim coach still went 0 13. Was the interim so. coach still the coach after that season? Let's see. <laughs> so, just saying, he Cal was, has stuck with their coach longer than Oregon State did. So, so they did not keep him after no, that season. No, they did not. Well, interim coach. He's probably an assistant to uh, Jay John. Jeez, imagine your your record as a head coach just being 0-13. Wow. That's kind of tragic. So, I have another question in mind, but did you want to fire off any questions that you had about this season? Okay, yeah. So, this is from Mark in Piedmont <laughs> from the Wealthy Zip Codes. Who has more wins next season, football or basketball? This is kind of a cross-sport question. I mean, I guess if we get Nick Foles, um, <laughs> we might we might win out, bro. We you might get know. a Rose Bowl. Finally. You never know. Get that Rose Bowl. I think this is at this point, it's kind of like a tricky question because we don't know 
the roster composition next year, whether... Well, we know it's not going to be that great, like, regardless, right? I mean, we're not getting Zion Williams' little brother. Does he have Who does or does not exist, I have no idea. (laughs) But for the purpose of my point... um, yeah, what do you think? So right now, Cal is they're five and they're 15. five and fifteen. So that that would not get you a bowl game in college football. How many games did Cal win? Seven. Let's see this. See, I should have come in with more prep. Uh, see, college football reference. I think it's it's gonna be close, regardless, right? I think it'll it's, be close. It's going to be down to the wire. My thing is... In I mean, f- after watching that Cheez-It Bowl, talk about a traumatic experience. Oh, no. Talk about a traumatic experience. Okay, we went 7-6 and six last season. So in Viking Jones' first season, Cal went 8-24. and 24, And this season, they're currently 5-15. and 15. That's an average of, like, 6.5 wins. I would say my, my biggest... I'm going to give a very political answer. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you come with the hot takes. That's that's just you. Where's but Serena? She couldn't come in. Need the spice queen. I texted her before the podcast, and she said uh, she could not make it in. She said it'll be a fire. She, she got a, a DNPCD. Did not play mm. coach's decision. <laughs> but I would say my biggest reservation is that you know we don't know who's gonna be on this team next year. We don't know if we're gonna get Marcus Bagley. We don't know if there's a. <laughs> A hidden five star out in the forests looking for salvation in yeah. <laughs> the oasis that is Berkeley, California. But if if we can believe in player development and sort of idealize or just have an idea that you know Justice improves, Darius improves, Jawan improves, Matt, Connor, Andre, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Well, even at that, that, that's a little tricky because as we've seen from like year one to year two with Justice, Juwan, and Darius, there hasn't been like a, a lot of development. Hasn't been a drastic jump, but that only that that does come down to the coach. It depends yeah. on who's sort of running the show. But even if they get a new coach, it's going to be rebuilding year. Um, it's going to be like the process for uh, college basketball. With no tanking. <laughs> With no tanking. I mean, I st- I'm still saying take for Zion, Dow fans. <laughs> I'm still a part of that movement. You can't sway me from my campaign. Um, I'm going to say football has more wins than Cal basketball next year because of that year. No matter who coaches, it's going to be a rebuild for the new coach. Or, if we have Y-King still as our SB Nation colleague, not even colleague, fan, what do we call him? Person. Peer, commenter. Uh, groupie. Um, <laughs> as, as his fear, if his fear comes to life and Y-King stays. The thing about Y-King is it's permanent rebuild. Um, you know, this house is never getting finished under Y-King. So, regardless, I think we're going to have less than... Eight wins in basketball next season, and I think Cal football has had a hot take to say they win nine. I actually don't believe they'll win. Cal they football. might be tied. Actually, now that I'm saying this, Cal football. 
like winning nine games. Yeah, I don't see that actually. I do love Wilcox, I gotta say, but God, our quarterback situation is a joke. And that cheese it bowl hangover that they probably cursed our fran- our program for a long time. I was just gonna ask you that because I think a lot of this is turning into a Cal football podcast, but I think a lot of what happens next year depends on Cal's situation at quarterback. Oh, it's all the quarterback. It's always been the offense. The offense is garbage. The defense was great. But, uh, yeah, Javid Best is not walking through that door. Marshawn is not walking through that door. J.J. Arrington is not walking through that door. Justin Forsett, Deshaun Jackson. Try saying that take like... Jared Cook. Try saying that take three years ago. Yeah. The offense is garbage and the defense is all right. I know, right? You'd be like, wait, what? How Sonny, who is this guy? Um, who? Who? Shout out C.J. Anderson. My boy's been eaten, literally and figuratively. Yep. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I think they'll tie for wins. And that would be the perfect representation of Cal Athletics. We're in hella debt. There's no hope, and our basketball and football teams had the same amount of wins. That's what I'm saying. Check with me in a year. Your boys Nostradamus over here. We're going to have to, go, like, when football season happens and basketball season happens next year, yeah. we're going to have to we, bring this one out the yeah, archives. Yo, it's, I'm calling it right now. All right, next question. So I think this is a good place to, to sort of end on. And this is another one of the questions that I had. Do you think that some of the young players are being put in too big of a position and being given too large of a role to succeed and grow? Are they developing bad habits because of the role that they've inhabited? Mm. And when I, when I say this question, there's a couple names that come to mind specifically. It's more of the freshmen, Andre Kelly, Matt Bradley, Connor Vanover in that he's not getting minutes anymore. Sort of in the same thing with Jacoby Gordon in that he's not getting minutes anymore. What are your sort of thoughts on that? I think that's a very legitimate concern. That's a great question. I am worried about that. I don't think being on a team this bad can be good for your career going forward. It's gonna it's a really bad experience. You see kind of the worst of coaching and <laughs> team-wide dynamics. Um, yeah, it's a serious, serious um, thing that could carry over the rest of their time here at Cal. I'm actually very worried about it. You see, like, with Andre, he's not... He's never been able to play his style of play. He's kind of been pigeonholed into this post-player. Kind of have to bang down for rebounds when really we've been saying he was like Draymond... He's out here with the spin moves. We haven't seen many spin moves recently. Um, yeah, Jacoby seems to have lost all confidence. Vanover has just lost all playing time. I don't know why. That was actually one of my questions, was why, why King soured on Vanover. Yeah, dude, it's um, it's super worrying. I'm, I'm very concerned about it. I think it's going to have long-term effects. Because usually what you see from year one to year two, or just from any year to any year, usually what you'll see among key contributors for major Division One programs is some growth from year one to year two. I would say one example off top in the Pac-12, 
Now, granted, these are players cut from a different cloth, but, you know, Chris Wilkes, Jalen Noel, I'm trying to think of others, Ethan Thompson, Mm -hmm. Tress Tinkle, like, you can see some noticeable improvement from year to year. And I, I call it the, when I was doing my previews for the season, I called a lot of their seasons the, it's like the stereotypical career year. Because you always see that happening. It's mm-hmm. it's a little more difficult to happen in the NBA, but in college, you'll see some growth from like year one to year two, or yeah. year two to year three, or especially like year three to year four. Yeah. Someone like Jordan McLaughlin, who just recently graduated, someone that gradually improved. And you did mention Andre. I was actually thinking about this recently. Maybe he gets like, maybe he calls up Hakeem. Wow. <laughs> just, you know, gets those spin But that's not his game, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want him in the post that much. I really don't. I want him playing off a big. I don't want him in the post that much either, but, you know, when we think of... I was thinking of his arsenal of moves, and, you know, we've seen the spin, but we haven't seen, like, a half spin. We haven't seen a half spin that... Mm. It's like he, he'll halfway go one way, then turn back the other way and do a little jump hook. Stuff of that nature, and I think that goes back to player development. I think he could be a very solid weapon in the post if it's not his full game. But then the play I mean, he can pass out of the post. That's so true like, as well. That's what Draymond does. I mean, when he's in the post, he's just scanning the floor for like back cutters and dudes on the wing. I would say my biggest concern of any player, specifically freshman right now. Actually, as I say that, there's. <laughs> I think I just got concerned for every freshman, but I would say the one that sort of rises above all is Matt Bradley, because. Really? My rationale with Bradley is that he's definitely a better shooter than I thought he was. And I th- my thing with all of the shooters on this team is that they're more of the catch-and-shoot variety, except for maybe Darius. You know, he can shoot off the dribble, he can pull up in transition, and we've seen that. I would say my biggest concern with Matt, though, is the two-point game. Because we can see him shoot, but I think he's... A little bit stuck in the past you know we've seen him in high school his game was bully ball Mm -hmm. he was 6'4 but built like Marcus Smart or (laughs) yeah that's a great comparison the dude on on Arizona State or not Arizona State Arizona last year the guy that was kind of like built I'm forgetting what his name was but you know he's sort of built from this like cut from the same cloth Mm -hmm. as Marcus Smart you know that like sort of like that type of bulldog yeah but I think he still tries to play like that in college and just by, on the basis of you're not playing some 5'9 kid that has to work on his physics homework after, after the game. He's more focused on that. You're focusing on people that are developing into NBA prospects and if not NBA prospects, you know, more grown men. Mm-hmm. And to see him sort of still try to bully ball his way into the paint. Now, it does work on occasion because he is strong, but to see that still happening, I think that it's going to create bad habits going forward when he needs to, or when he has a more solidified role. And my thing with it too, oh my God, I'm like skimming on my point. I just, I had a beautiful point. That's funny you said that, though, because I actually felt like the most confident in Bradley because I feel like he's the most... His game will translate the most because 
On this team, he's been asked to just continue his high school style play, just isolation, take your man off the dribble, either shoot a three or a long two, or go to the rack. So I feel like if he gets coaching, he's going to be fine because he'll be able funneled into more efficient style of play. That's the big if. Yeah. Okay, I remember my point now. There was a lot of times early in the season where a lot of his points would come during the second half, and I think most of that was because he would see the way the offense was going and get into a, a bit of a mode where he's thinking, okay, the offense is kind of stalling. I need to create something. And the one way that he knows how to create, or rather the two ways more than anything, is shooting threes and getting into the paint and just being stronger than everybody. Yeah. And as we've seen with the offense over the past, what, five games, there's a lot of moments when the offense stalls. Justice can't be the only one who's creating. Sometimes the onus is going to have to fall on Matt Bradley to create those shots. Mm. And if the only way he knows how to get shots is through that bully ball tactic, yeah, I don't think that's helping him going forward. No, it's definitely not. That's not to say he can't evolve his game a little bit. As we said, you know, some of our favorite programs are the ones where you have players sticking around for three or four years. And so if Matt does decide to stay on Cal, what he looks like in his freshman year more likely than not is not going to be what he looks like by his senior year. Maybe he has a little bit of a post game. Maybe he establishes that dribble a little more. Well, he's six yeah. four and can bully down low, yeah. so maybe he got maybe a little baby hook, maybe a little post fade. But just right now and what I've seen, I see glimmers of what he can be. But I think because, as you said in the last podcast, because the players don't really have that much of an established role, that's when I have some cause for concern. And just because there's a coaching change. That isn't to say that these guys are just going to completely rewire their brains. Yeah. I mean, I guess my solace in Bradley is I think he's the most competitive dude by far um, amongst these freshmen. Like, that dude's a dog. Like, he goes after it. And like the Marcus Smart comparison, I feel like, yes, maybe. He's definitely building bad habits now, but if that can be channeled in a more positive direction with the likely coaching change, I like Bradley's career going forward. And I think he's going to stick around at least till his junior year. He's not a dude who's going to come out and try to play in the league next year. But he's a very competitive dude. He definitely has a drive to get better. He's a gym rat, clearly. Um... So I feel the most confident. The people I'm more concerned with are the... Vanover seems a lot more fragile. Just his minutes have been thrown around. And he's still trying to figure out what he does well as a player. So I worry about Vanover probably the most. And then also Kelly. I don't want him to lose his joy of the game. And like what made him special as a player. So we've talked about Andre. We've talked about Matt. Let's, let's channel in a little more on Connors. So you said he doesn't really know... What did you say? He doesn't really know... He he do, I think he doesn't know his role on the team, and he doesn't even know himself as a player that much. I mean, it still almost feels like he's growing into his own body. You know? He almost has that feel of, like, a a teenager going through a growth spurt, and they're just kind of awkward, and their limbs are thrown around. Like Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of confidence, and he doesn't have great balance or coordination. 
And he knows he can shoot, and he knows he can block shots. But you can tell there's a lot more there, and I think he's trying to figure it out. But the worry is he's not going to have the confidence to try new things to develop his game because Viking is, you know, permanently damaged them. I think that's been my biggest criticism of, among the many criticisms of Viking is the way that he's treated Connor. Yeah. Now, granted, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. There could, no, just just in the way that human beings in that, like act with one another, and especially in competitive environments as such, there could be something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. But again, this is a rebuilding year. You've seen that Connor is one of the more valuable pieces on your team. He's shown an ability to shoot. He's not the greatest defender in the world, but he has long arms and he's tall. And he, at at minimum. He can just stick his arms up when someone goes up for a layup and sort of just like windshield wiper that thing yeah. where it's like, are you going to try to get a shot yeah. around me? And, you know, I think that he's going to be very useful in like pick and pop situations, not necessarily pick and roll. He's hit a couple baby jump hooks just because no one's... By the time he gets that ball up in the air no one can defend and his that. arm is there, he's like 10 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. And there's very few people who have the height or the bounce to get up to that shot. So I think we've definitely seen flashes of what he can become, but I think it's just, at this point, it's just the minutes. Because when we're talking about shooters, you can't just be like, okay, you've been in the game for a minute, knock down that three ball. You sort of got to get, we, we talked about this with Darius, you can't just expect him to be standing in the corner. You need to be in the rhythm, you need to get warm, you need to just feel the ball a couple times, and then you go from there. But if you're playing nine minutes too and the thing too is if he doesn't know his minutes in the back of his mind he might be thinking if i make a mistake i'm going to the bench so he's afraid to make a decision exactly and he's thinking instead of playing and that once you get in that mindset it's very hard to break out of because it's this self-fulfilling narrative that it, it tricks your mind and it takes away from who you were as a player and that's what I'm really afraid of and you notice it more with big men than guards is their confidence can be a lot more shaky um, so I, I do worry about Vanover and what's been happening because his minutes have gone down considerably these past four or five games yeah. as we said in the past four games he hasn't even cracked ten minutes and as you said if this is a permanent rebuild Mm-hmm. With the Viking at the helm, that's again, that's that's sort of inexcusable just to make him nothing more than a reserve. I think if Viking stays, I could see Vanover transferring. I could see, I could envision a scenario just because. I mean, he's not even. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. He's a long way from home. Where where was his other offer at Memphis? He originally committed to Memphis. Yeah. And then after the head coach changed to where then Penny... Then he's like, I only get five stars, bro. Um, I think he transferred... <laughs> I think he transferred before Penny. Okay. So I don't even think he knew that Hardaway was going to be the replacement. But just saying, like, I could see him being like, you know what, this little West Coast foray was terrible for my... <laughs> this is a bad year for me. I'm going back to the South. So... I would not be shocked... Because Viking is kind of a 
I don't want to say thrown him under the bus, but kind of he's given him an extremely short leash out there. And I don't see a lot of confidence in Vanover. I just think at this point in the season, you know, we talked a lot about different tactics that this team could use, whether it be an actual second unit or Darius off the bench. Talking crazy. Stuff of that nature. I think more than anything, you just got to get these guys at least like 15 minutes. Let's start there. Yeah. I mean, we had this conversation before, but like a lot of these games were just blown the hell out and Wyking keeps the starters in. It's like, what are we doing? Like, at least get these guys minutes, right? Get your boy David Surge some minutes. <laughs> the dude's 150% from the field. Come on. So the last player of the freshman class that we have yet to talk about extensively, and we haven't talked about in a while, it's Jacoby. I mean, there's not been much to talk about, frankly. That is true. but That was my boy... I mean, he's still. I still like Jacoby, but yeah, it's not. It has not looked great. It really has not. So, instead of talking more about what we've seen from Jacoby, yeah, just because you know, with Connor and Matt and Andre, we can sort of commentate on what we've seen. And Jacoby, it's sort of different. He hasn't been playing that much as of late. Let me shift the question to this: If developed properly, and he's healthy. What do you think Jacoby can become as a player? I think Jacoby can be a really good third option on a decent really? basketball team. Yeah, because his stroke was for real. Um, I mean, I don't know. I He passed the eye test with me. I was like, this dude can shoot. And he kind of has a feel for the game. He can find the open spots, the open creases on the floor. Um, so best case scenario, I could see him kind of being the the dude who, whenever the star player or the second option is having an off night or fouls out of the game, Jacoby can kind of pick up the slack and hit you know four threes and kind of get you the win, steal a win on the road, secure a win at home. Just kind of one of those glue guys, not because of his leadership or like that he's sharing the ball, but he's kind of a guy you can go to and reliably get 10 points every game. And he'll have a couple, you know, 20 point games, 24 point games. Best case scenario. And what I've noticed with Jacoby, too, in, you know, the little time that he has played, especially as of late, but especially in non conference play, is his confidence. Yeah. He's a confident dude. Yeah, he's got some swag. And, you know, he could only do so much to help the injury. That's something that's, at this point, is out of his control. But, you know, when I see him step into a three, he's not shy about it. He's not taking, oh, there's like five seconds left on the shot clock. I need to take this three. He's looking at the basket and thinking, I'm about to make this shot. Yeah, he thinks he's going to make every shot he takes. And... You can only think that when he's healthy, when he's got his mobility back, when he's consistently found a rhythm, eventually that's going to transfer into some legitimate production. This season, I can understand if for if from here on out, from February 2nd on out, they want to play him very minimally, not to, you know, exacerbate that injury. Mm-hmm. But if he is healthy and he does get some extended run, I could see him starting to pick up 
you know, a little bit of momentum as the season rolls along, especially even if he just knocks down one three. Because sometimes you just need to see that ball go in the basket during yeah. a game. So if if he gets consistent minutes, if he's healthy, if he can just get some points on the board, yeah, I think it would go a long way for him long term because I can see him being someone that takes a little while takes a little while longer to come into his own, especially because he's coming off that injury. But in the few times that we have seen him, he's not necessarily a power rebounder, but he's just a I'm gonna jump higher than you and I'm just gonna get myself in good position rebounder. Sort of like to to keep it Bay Area, sort of like an Alfonso McKinney in a way. Mm. Like Alfonso isn't like a he's not gonna Demarcus Cousins bully ball someone out of the paint and then grab a rebound, but he's just like just has the instincts to get on the board. Yeah. And I think that's something that would translate well for this Cal team specifically, a team that doesn't rebound that well. No. I will say the concern I do have is it's an Achilles injury. So I don't know if he ever will be mobile. And when he's on the floor this season, he really does not move. He does the John Wall thing where when he doesn't have the ball, he just kind of stands there. And that's a terrible habit to have as a basketball player. If you're not moving without the ball, you're dead. I mean, you're contributing nothing to the offense. And that's what he's been doing. I mean, that's what the offense basically is, is guys standing around the perimeter. So I really hope he this doesn't get too ingrained in his DNA as a basketball player because the only way he'll be able to be a great shooter is if he's, like, running off screens and keeping the defense honest with, you know, a few drives every now and then, putting up a second chance point after grabbing a rebound. But this season, I've seen he, a lot of times he's just standing on the wing there, you know, doing nothing. And it's, uh, I hate that. Just aesthetically and as, as team ball goes and have been a successful shooter, it rarely works unless your release is just insane. Do you think that's a function of him? Or a function of the offense? I think it's both. I think it's one of those vicious cycles where the players just kind of check out. And it's kind of, uh, it's your turn. See what you can do. Paris, go do a crossover three times in a row. And see if you can draw a foul with one of your theatrical, kind of floppy, kind of arm movements that he likes to do. Um, You calling him a flopper? I'm not calling him a flopper, but I will say Paris likes to um, extend his arms in a very Harden-esque way when he gets down there. He throws up these weird half-jumper, half-floaters where he just kind of goes full, limbs flying, and the call drafts are so terrible they call it half the time. Like J.R. Smith, Black Swan. Exactly. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I hope he doesn't maintain those bad habits I'm a little worried about that so I'd say last question just to sort of wrap everything up Mm. now again it's February 2nd the Cal Stanford game is yet to happen but what do you got for a score prediction tomorrow oh I hate these score predictions I'm never good at the score predictions I didn't Uh, say for Cal Stanford though hey oh (laughs) score we're just if you don't want to go score prediction for Cal Stanford I'll just say like, do you think it's going to be a close game? Is it going to be a blowout? If it's a loss, how many points? I actually 
I fear that it's going to be a blowout, but my feeling is that it might actually be close in, during certain stretches, especially during the first half. So I'm going to say we lose by 12 or 14, which right. isn't which is not a blowout, right? Uh, 12 or 14, I will not say is a blowout. I hate that we consider that close. Dude, that's pretty close for Cal. Do you think it's a 12 or 14 where it's like it was a five-point game with like five minutes left and then there's like the garbage time that happens or it's like a consistent 12 to 14? Uh, I think a lot of it will probably come in uh, garbage time, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, let me let me see some of our recent scores here to get a score prediction. Well, I got them right here. Do you have one? So if you want to go Pac-12, it starts right here. Oh, wow. None of them have been... Well, the Colorado one was a 9-point wow, game. Wow, we give up a lot of 80-point games. I guess that's what happens when you have the worst defense in the nation. Um... Do you think it'd be closer to Washington? Or, wow, UCLA really hung 98 on us? I would say my thing with... There's no way they're hanging 98 on us, right? I don't think so. Stanford's not that crazy of an offense. Their offense hasn't been that great. But I would say... Jesus. This is going to be Casey Apala's last game at Haas if he does decide to declare for the draft. And mm. he hasn't played particularly well in any of the first three games against Cal. I think he's averaging like eight points a game on 26% shooting in those first three games wow. against Cal. That's terrible. And with this potentially being his last time at Berkeley as a Stanford student athlete, and especially considering just how well he's played this season, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a little trick up his sleeve. Especially if he's oversight, like if he's just significantly bigger than whoever's trying to check him. Who will try to guard him? Juwan? It's a great question. I would the options in terms of just matching heights. Justice. Jawan, I guess, but Jawan's like six four, six five. But he is like our most voracious defender, I'd say. He's low key our Tony Allen. <laughs> like that's basically his role. But the thing with Alpala is that he's the same height as Andre. And yeah. so Andre's got to check someone. And then Justice is probably going to have to check whoever. He might have to check, like, Oscar De Silva. Mm. Just, no way Andre can guard him, though. Just matchup-wise. That's this, terrible. Matchup-wise, this isn't going to be a fun Jesus Christ. Because it's a lot of question is, like, do you go with a tall lineup or do you go with... A tactical lineup that might be able to produce on offense. Yeah. I'm going to say 78-64. I think that's pretty much in line with the past couple games yeah. have been. You know, not great offense by Cal, but not like the f- sub-60 point outings. I could also see us going sub-60, though, honestly. That would not be... A shocker to me, honestly. Yeah, I mean, what could happen too is that yeah, I don't know. You know, they they come out the tunnel, they look up, not a lot of people are there. Yeah, instantly discouraged. So and they're <laughs> like, could... I wish I was watching the Super Bowl right now. 
doesn't seem like it's nothing's really lining up for this to be a, a win on. So. There's no way. I mean, I don't want to say there's no way. There's always a slight chance. Optimism of Oski. Um, is that waning? I oh yeah. There's there's no my optimism is that Wykin gets fired and we can start anew. <laughs> like a phoenix, we rise from the ashes. That's our best chance. Well, <laughs> on that note, on that note, happy weekend. Happy Super Bowl weekend. Let's hope for a good game on Sunday, both for Cal Stanford and uh, Los Angeles. We have Angeles. two Bay Area quarterbacks going at it, TB and Jared Goff. Uh, do, we, do we claim Tom Brady? I don't think so. Yo, quick story. I used to play uh, Sarah High School in football, which was the uh, high school that uh, Tom Brady went to. And Barry Bonds went to. And Lynn Swan. Pretty good high school. Just saying, I had an interception. I played <laughs> cornerback. I had an interception against Tom Brady's alma mater. So, I don't know what that means for the Super Bowl, but I'm just saying, guys. I think Basically, that means I intercepted Tom Brady. <laughs> I think that's what that means. I think you're going to love this story. Okay. I don't know the name of Jared Goff's high school. Marine Catholic. Marin Catholic field. played my high school, Hercules, oh, while really? Jared Goff was still there. Really? Yeah. Wow. Exhibition or like this was a non-conference, like the first three games of the season? They it's like a Marin. non-conference game. Okay. But for uh, lack of a better term, Goff. Marin Catholic was nice. They sunned my high school. <laughs> Were you guys nice at all? I don't remember what year this was. All I remember is just a lot of football players telling me that Jared Goff just destroyed Hercules. <laughs> So that, Damn. So maybe. Wait, can you search that game up real quick? It's definitely on. It's definitely online. So we're some respect. So we just checked it. Uh, Marin Catholic, thirty-eight. Hercules Titans, seven. This was right. a playoff game, so definitely some some high stakes. So so basically, I think the conclusion we're coming to, based off your interception, and what I assume to be a good game by Jared Goff. Rams are winning this. Rams are right. blowing out the, the Patriots. Rams are blowing them out. <laughs> this is going to be fun to listen to in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun. But that concludes another episode of the one. Well, we are going to have the, the second half. Yeah, you're, the- you're going to have a second part. I mean, I may or may not be here depending on uh, my health. After tonight, might have a DNP. Might have a DNP. Might have a illness. DNP it liver. Might have a Jordan flu. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Kenny sushi in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> but that has been the first part of this two-part one golden moment podcast. Justin Del Santos, Rory O'Toole, signing off. Peace. <laughs>